0: Welcome to this podcast of Sunday Nights on ABC Local Radio. I hope you enjoyed the program. Coming up now, uh, Father Phil Crotty. He spent more than half a century as a missionary in India, so we're going to get the insights of a, a foreigner who lived within India and who was working there for all of his working life. And you may have seen uh, the Compass episode tonight. Well, that's his community. This is the Confluence Festival time where Australians are learning about India. Phil Crotty, not everybody has seen the Compass episode. They can catch it up if they haven't, Mm. but they'll know exactly where you were and who you were with if they see that. What about you yourself, Phil Crotty? How old were you when you arrived in India? Twenty and you were ready? What year were we talking about? Oh,
1: 1952, the end of.
0: And how long did you end up staying there?
1: Until 2008. Oh, that's a fair while. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit, yeah.
0: You went in fifty-two, so we're talking about that's pre-Vatican Council II, you oh, were Oh, well,
1: very much so.
0: And before you were ordained. So where did you do your training?
1: I was not long out of the novitiate, and I did all my training in India.
0: What about language then? What did you have to do?
1: First up we had to learn the language, uh, Hindi, which is of course the national language at least for the north of India.
0: So you had to learn Hindi. Were you classes in Hindi as well?
1: We had classes in Hindi and then once we got the basics, I was sent out to a village school where there were Belgian Jesuits way out in the bush mm. and it was close to Christmas time I remember And I taught there for a few months, but Mm. what what I have a special memory of is my family here in Australia baked a Christmas cake for me, and it was then sent to this village, uh, which had a vague sort of post office, but it arrived on the end of a spear because the... Postal Service used to have runners. Oh, yes. And they carried the mail bag over their shoulder on a spear. So it arrived at the mission station where I was, and it had been shaken for about the last 60 kilometres or so on the end of a spear. It was all crumbs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But the taste was right at least, I hope, was it? It And it survived? (laughs) It survived, What were your impressions of arriving?
1: We came off a ship, of course, in those days called the Multan. Uh, what I noticed was the huge crowds. I mean, just people. even, even though we were at the wharf in Bombay, just a mass of people, the crowd of people just kept striking me and my companions. Another thing that me was this. I'd never seen a squat toilet before.
0: Oh, the squat toilet would have been new for you, I imagine. Yes. And
1: the, so the first view of the squat toilet was, let's say, a bit confronting.
0: <laughs> that I remember from India too. Well, what about other things? Food, the way of living. Were you insulated as a young seminarian?
1: The food was reasonable enough, I guess. It was a lot more rice than I'd ever eaten in my life. My first attempt at Chewing a chili wasn't very successful. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so food was something you experienced. You were going there to do mission, though, weren't you? That's what you were going to, I think in those days, convert the heathen.
1: Uh, probably that was the language, although the language was already changing in those days. Uh, the heathen had a religion of their own. I don't like the word convert because it sounds as though somebody's converting somebody else. But it took a time to grow into a sort of sense that people, if they're interested, they choose a religion. If something is presented to them and they find it beautiful, helpful, supportive, meaningful, if it fits neatly into their social framework, then, uh, yeah, they are often open to accepting a new religion. I mean, it's like here in Australia, yoga or things like that. Mm. They're immensely popular, not because anybody's converted people to yoga, but because they themselves have chosen yoga.
0: Will your ministry, your life in ministry, expands over a time of profound change for the Catholic Church. You were in India before Vatican II. That's right. At Vatican II there was a document called Nostra Aetate in our time Mm -hmm. that changed Catholic attitudes to other world religions in a very profound way. When did you begin to notice those changes yourself? Even
1: before Vatican II because uh, we lived in that theological ferment and I, I was privileged to have four years with Father Jacques Dupuis as my professor.
0: He's a famous man, Jacques Dupuy.
1: Uh, Jacques Dupuis is a very famous man, especially in the era of religious pluralism.
0: He got in trouble, didn't he?
1: <laughs> For being too pluralistic. <laughs> He faced he, he faced the into, Inquisition, in other got, words. And <laughs> he got into pretty serious trouble with the doctrine of the faith. Uh, yeah. Uh, so. Formally, the
0: Inquisition. That's exactly yeah, what. Formally, it was. the
1: Inquisition. That's right. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I see. Though there's a Jesuit smile there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, one of the proud things I love about that famous Inquisition is that on the final day when Father Dupuis was there in Rome uh, and he's being finally told what the judgment is, he was defended by Gerry Collins, who you probably... Australian Gerry O'Collins, yes. Yes, who was his
0: rector. Who's been on the program here too.
1: Yeah. I'll bet he has, yes. And he defended him. He was his, let us say, his defence lawyer. His
0: devil's advocate, as it were. <laughs> no, no, the opposite. Not, not the, opposite. <laughs> the angel's advocate. Yeah.
1: <laughs> At the end of it, Father Dupuy was cleared, although his health was shot. To he was be. cleared. He was fine, but he it was, was an emotional he was, wreck. He was, that's right. Yeah. His health was shot to pieces. And Cardinal Ratzinger, who was head of the department, came down and said to them. Father Dupuis is okay, he's passed the exam. And uh, he said, but I do have something to say. He said, I wonder why so many Jesuits appear here in this court.
0: This is Cardinal Ratzinger, later Pope Benedict. He didn't understand there'd be a Jesuit in charge one day, I don't think. (laughs) But
1: before the Jesuit in charge... The then Superior General of the Jesuits, Father Kolvenbach, said to the Cardinal This Ratzinger, is Hans-Peter Kolvenbach, yeah. Yeah, he said to <laughs> Cardinal Ratzinger, perhaps the reason why we're, so many of us are in trouble is because the popes have asked us to explore the frontiers of religion and the frontiers of the world and to be there as people who... How near to it.
0: Yeah. Well, in a way, that's where you were, though. I mean, I can imagine a Victorian boy in the 1950s being sent to India to go and be a missionary must have gotten a bit of a shock when he arrived.
1: He got a big shock in lots of areas, but loved it. Mm. I mean, you get shocked. You can either turn away from the shock or you can absolutely love it, and I loved it. No, it's given us tremendous opportunity to share in the life of the people there. You went to the tribal areas. Now, That's this right. is
0: quite key. This is a really interesting thing, I think, for Australians.
1: Tribals mean people who are not of caste. Their social setup is such that they are outside the caste system. They are a minority, but they're quite big. There are well over 100 million, I think something like 150 million tribal people in India, which would forms about a tenth of the population. And some of the states have, a, like Mizoram, uh, like Nagaland, they have sort of 80 90% indigenous people, tribal people as their inhabitants. You said indigenous,
0: now there's a key word. <laughs> That's a key word, isn't it? Because there yeah. is a parallel between Indian tribal people and Aboriginal people in Australia or Aboriginal people in the Arctic. There is, isn't there? There is indeed, yes, of course. Tell is. us what it
1: is. They're there before anybody else, although that's a disputed thing in India because it means that if the tribals are first, then other people are second Mm. and some people don't like being called second.
0: I think you might find that pop up in Australian public debate from time to time too.
1: (laughs) First peoples and second peoples. yes.
0: well, those indigenous groups you went to see, tell us who they were. What was the group? You're up near a place called Hazaribagh, That's in the northeast of India, right up That's sort of
1: more than halfway up. It's below the Ganges. Mm. Uh, it's below Nepal. Uh, who are the tribal people there? Well, the biggest tribal group there is the Santals. Santals. Yeah, the Santals. You remember the Staines, who were the husband and the two children were burnt to death. You I know? do
0: remember the Staines, the Australian missionaries, yeah? They
1: were working with the Santals, not in our particular area, but that's the same tribe. But the biggest tribe that I had contact with and I spent a lot of my life with are the Uraans. Uran's. yeah, U R A O N. Something I'd never heard of until I started reading your stuff.
0: There you go. <laughs> but there's millions of these too.
1: Yeah, yeah, for millions of everybody over in India.
0: Tell us why did a missionary go to the tribals?
1: You see, a movement had been started by the Jesuits back at the end of the nineteenth century to support the tribal people who had lost their land or were lo- in the process of losing their land. Why did they lose their land? Because they were the ones who had cut their land out of the jungle and cultivated it, irrigated it, etc., and built their villages in that area. But they had no land documents.
0: Ah, oh, there were no title they were, deeds, etc.
1: They were not literate. Mm-hmm. So they had no title deeds. So when the British came along, they wanted taxes. So they sort of said, there must be a landlord somewhere. Of course. Some upper caste people put their hand up and said, we're the landlords. So people were beginning to lose their land to these people who had hijacked their land from them.
0: On the basis of verbal claims when the British... Yeah. Came.
1: Wars broke out. There were serious fights. And the Jesuits realised that people had land rights, but how do you show that? So they went to the British and said, look, you've got this wrong. They said, well, come to court and prove that. So they brought the tribal people themselves to the courts and said, here they are. They have title from generations. So it was on the back of that social justice issue, that huge crowds of people joined the Jesuits, joined Christianity, uh, because they were looking for a religion that responded to their needs and to their new world.
0: There was a Flemish Jesuit, I think, uh, who I've seen in mentions, Father Constant Levens.
1: Constant Levens, yes, Flemish Jesuit, very famous man. He's the hero of a He's on his way to sainthood at the moment. He's a venerable, I think what they call a venerable.
0: Well, he's the guy who, though, rounded up tribal people with concerns and went to the courts and made them. arguments and won them land rights. That's, That's what he right. did.
1: That's what he did, exactly.
0: But he had some strict conditions, though, which I don't know that you would necessarily endorse because he used to say back in those days, we're talking a long time ago now, right. um, I can only help the Christians. I can no, only- no, he didn't say Are that. Are you sure? Uh, yeah.
1: He said this. He said, I've only got a limited amount of time, because we're talking hundreds of thousands of people. Right. It was a huge movement. He said, I'll help the Christians. If any of you want to learn prayers, I'll help you. But I want you to be able to come together as a group, to act together as a group. And he saw the best way of doing that, if we could get people to gather together, pray together, and as a result of that, have a common front. Right. Yeah, in that context, great numbers of them became Christians, and very solid ones. In fact, the cardinal at the moment is from that particular tribe, the cardinal of Ranchi, ah. Topo, whom I taught in, uh, when he was at college.
0: So, there was a connection between the social justice movement that the that the Jesuits got mm-hmm. involved in with the tribals yeah. and the patterns of conversion That's that would right. be fair to say yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, fair enough to say that absolutely
0: <laughs> The thing is though, I think uh, we mentioned before Nostra tarde that change in Catholic yes, policy, right. hmm. missionary work changed though didn 't it from father uh, Levin's time and zip forward to your beginnings in the 1950s then the 1960s then the 1970s approaches to how missionary work in the Catholic Church operated, were quite significant, I
1: think. They were huge in a way. It's a question of acceptance. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you accept the religion of others? Let's say you've got children in school. Mm. Do they pray only Christian prayers or do they pray Hindu prayers or do they pray Sikh prayers? or uh, The vast majority of children in our big schools Non-Christian in India, you mean? The Jesuit schools, vast numbers. Yeah, our universities. So, what do you do?
0: Do you have prayers in different faiths? What do you do?
1: Yeah, we do. We celebrate the different feast days. We have prayers in different faiths, but I mean, basically, it's known as a religious institution based on Christian values, Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: but not necessarily a formal platform for conversion. No, not at all. Now that is a change, though, isn't it? I, think, I
1: suppose it is because if you go back to papal decrees back in the 14th century, there was a famous document that said "extra ecclesiam nulla salus." No it? salvation outside, outside the church. The church, yeah. there you are,
0: and you had to be saved if you weren't. If you weren't in the church, you were that's you were on your way right. to hell, basically. Yeah, that's right. And That was a strong motivation for missionaries of the time to try to do that—to convert everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that is a change, isn't it? Because since Vatican II. The Catholic Church has said there is truth in other religions and where you find truth you should encourage it.
1: Can't we have a mutual exchange?
0: Ah, now there's a modern missionary, a mutual exchange. <laughs> yeah. You're on ABC Radio around Australia at the moment with me, Pien, and Old and be our guest in this hour by the Phil Crotty Jesuit, a missionary who spent pretty much his whole life working in the missions in India. And we're talking about... Uh, some of his experience and some of the change he experienced while he was there personally. How enculturated, to use a technical term, did you become? You know, you go into a culture and you learn your bringing religion of any sort is not about bringing your culture, but it might actually be about appreciating
1: culture. What did you learn when you were there? I loved the culture. I loved the culture of the people I was working among. I studied it at the Delhi School of Economics and did anthropology. So I, I came to love Delhi and the, the world of music, dance. I loved the history of India. I'm a total fan of William Dalrymple, if you know.
0: Ah, yes, William Dalrymple, yeah, of course. Yeah,
1: and he explores how different cultures have come into India and it, But I suppose the music that I was very fond of, very close to, and I I promise you I won't start singing it.
0: You can (laughs) sing if you want. You're allowed (laughs) to sing on air. (laughs) Oh, no.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The music that I especially love is the tribal music of the Urans, Your own people that you worked with. There's a big Catholic population there, about 30,000 Catholics in that area. Uh, we introduced their dances and their music into the liturgy, which had a terrific impact. They loved dancing you know, mm. with 40, 50, 60 dancers, etc.
0: So, this was a way of introducing their own cultural patterns into the way you yes, worshipped together? Merging the two, yeah. Mm. yeah. That being said, uh, you were brought back to Australia kicking and screaming, I, I see in my notes here. <laughs> oh, I see, yes. You didn't want Did... to leave.
1: No, I didn't.
0: And we've just seen on Compass the guys you worked with right. and led for six years. Why didn't you want to leave? What made you want to stay?
1: Uh, everything. Everything. <laughs> You've got to unpack that for us because we
0: weren't there. We don't know what everything was.
1: Everything about it. (laughs) (laughs) You fall in love with, you you can even fall in love with trees and hills and forest.
0: Well, what was the landscape like where you were? Tell us what you saw when you walked outside your home.
1: Well, when I was in Mohadan, which is my favourite place, where I was parish priest twice, I was there for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. You'd come out, you'd look, it's a valley Mm -hmm. full of villages. Uh, And it's surrounded by reasonably high mountains going up to about 4,000 feet. Mm -hmm. It was full of music. At night you could hear the drums from village to village as people danced, communal dancing. Um, Just a way of life of people. Uh, I'm a country boy. Maybe there's some (sighs) connection with that.
0: We're in the developed world right now. You're back in Australia. That's right. Where water supplies are very, very reassured where electricity and broadband is being connected, of course, as we speak, being rolled out. What <laughs> sort of level waste. of technology and sanitation and what, what was available to you where you were living?
1: Well, we had to make our own electricity with generators, which has now become very common because we moved pretty rapidly into solar panels mm-hmm. and also persuaded the village people or introduced them to solar panels. There, occasionally there was a telephone line, but the elephants used to knock over the telephone post. The
0: elephants used to knock over the telephone poles. <laughs> <place. laughs>
1: Literally <laughs> true. <laughs> to rub themselves against
0: it. Oh, you see them do that in, in, the, in the bush, don't you? Because they like to have a scratch. That's right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> now, let's say the telephone line was intermittent, to, to say the least. Buses ran sometime. During the monsoon, buses didn't run at all. You had to walk about 20 kilometres to get a bus.
0: So compared to Melbourne or Perth or Brisbane... <laughs> We're not talking paved roads. We're not talking running, no, running no. water and electricity. That's not where you were working. No. And you wanted to go back to
1: that. Exactly. Uh, okay, well, yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> what about
0: in terms of that lifestyle? Your priests, uh, and there must be some care to your own welfare. What about the comparison between your lifestyle as a missionary and those people you were working with? What was it like?
1: Oh they they saw us of course as much better off if you like when i first went there people used to take a cook with them if they were travelling you know in the area i said why can't i eat in the houses the people said the parish committee they said, we wouldn't be able to cook for you. Because so, of your
0: diet? Because No, no,
1: because of who you are. You know, I oh. know you're a foreigner. So, what do foreigners eat? God knows, sort of thing. Right. They asked, how can we cook for you? And I said, well, just try it and let's see how we go. <laughs> and the food was beautiful. I mean, I was just so struck how beautiful you can cook rice, just the rice itself, leave aside the curry. They get up early in the morning. They husk the rice every day, early in the morning at four o'clock, and there's thump, 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 thump.
0: No prepackaging, in other words. <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> and, and you get that husked rice that day.
0: So it's like raw food. Is the is the cult in the <laughs> modern world, isn't it? That's what you're eating. What about the tastes? Tell us. Tell me about the flavours of the local food.
1: In that particular area, especially in the north of India, people are not heavy-handed with chilies as they are in the south of India. So I'm much more comfortable with that, uh, and I found that very tasty. It, it, in a strange way, I love the breads, and so I love roti, uh, I love paratha, I love naan, and I love tarikadal. Dal? tarka dal is a combination of dals, you get it in restaurants if you ask for tarikadan. Uh So that, for, for me, was on the road, motorcycle, stop at a tea shop, ask for this.
0: Well, you came back to Australia to do the work you were asked to do. That's right. Which, in effect, was to encourage mission and to find new balance for the way the Jesuits you know, deployed their resources exactly. and gathered resources.
1: You've put that very well. The Jesuits of Australia... Uh, expanded their approach to missionary work, especially to Southeast Asia and uh, the Pacific.
0: Oh, Michael Kelly's up in Thailand, I think, for example. He's another Australian Ma-
1: Ma- Michael Kelly's up there. Yeah. M- Mark Raper is up yep. there. He's in charge of the Conference of Asia Pacific. Uh, our fundraising had always been focused on India, and there was a need to bridge that gap. They looked for uh, an Indian missionary. You. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, To come and help make that bridge.
0: What about your own sense of beliefs? How did they change in a long missionary career?
1: Uh, Well, they grew and changed, of course. I can remember when I was very young, I must have been 21 or something like that, I went out to the fields one day uh, near where I was living, and there was a shrine, a small shrine there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I looked around; there was nobody there. So I got down. It was quite low on the ground. I got down and uh, managed to peep inside and saw the image inside. Oh, there was an idol inside. There (laughs) There was an idol inside there. That's right. And uh, later I found, I came to know that th- this was the village deity. Every village has a deity who protects the village. So. Oh. He, so probably I was on the boundary of a village and there was a deity there. So I looked and then I said, um, God, you know, what's that? I remember being sort of puzzled even antagonistic. I suppose that's how our background was. To
0: wrong religion, as it were.
1: Strange, yeah. and being strange, it must be wrong or something. Like mm. But as I grew up, I grew up into a love of the temples. You go to Madurai Minakshi Temple, uh, it, it's, it's a wonder. You know, the images, the carvings, the atmosphere, the music, the devotion of people at, uh, that sweeps you off your feet. They're beautiful. So
0: you went from a time of being uncomfortable with seeing an idol as a young man (laughs) to a point where you're comfortable inside temples and, in fact, you're talking about them sort of lovingly, I've got to say.
1: They are. They're wonderful.
0: When it comes down to your relationship, though, with religious leaders, how did that pan out? Because you're a missionary. I'd be interested to know. Hindu leaders from the local area, Muslim leaders from the local area.
1: The Hindu and Muslim leaders were quite friendly. We were good friends with them. In the local area, I don't say that India-wide at all, there's a lot of tension at the moment built up mm. between inter-religious rioting is quite prevalent at the moment. In fact, it's going on today, in fact.
0: Uh, w- why do you think that's happening? Because the BJP has been, and what ah, we can see is Hindu nationalism, has risen in the time you've been there,
1: I think. Oh, very much so, yeah. And RSS was banned, the Rastriya Zewasang. Uh, that's uh, the sort of uh, religious wing of the BJP. Mm. They have become very powerful. They were banned uh, in the past. It's kind of sad now because I've, I've, for political motives, people use religion as a tool to confront other people and to unite people against others. I find that pretty sad situation. I, I've been there... In Hazaribate, during riots, uh, Hindu-Muslim riots, uh, you don't want to know about it.
0: And where do the Catholics fit though? Because they're your special care and a lot of these Catholics are tribals who are outside Mm -hmm. the caste system as you mentioned Mm -hmm. and that's historically partly why they turned to Christianity because they were outside the system and and they got land rights and that's part of their identity. How do they fit in next to Hindus and Muslims of the local area?
1: Surprisingly well, given that, um, they're very upwardly mobile and they're not upwardly mobile wanting to be either Hindus or Muslims. uh, They're rather more upwardly mobile to be just independent themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, They try desperately to retain their own culture, some more successfully than others. It's a very mixed scene. I, I think we were privileged to be in an area where, on the one hand, the tribal people were quite socially quite strong, and on the other hand, they had some very good uh, missionaries, if you like, with, who worked with them to inculturate Christianity or, or just to be part of their society without any conversions, whatever.
0: Over that long life of yours, India for more than half a century... There's been so much change in the church, but of course we've now got our first Jesuit Pope. How do you respond to this Pope Francis?
1: Ah, he's, he's brilliant. <laughs> he's, totally, he's wonderful. And he does it so humanly, how he responds to people who need affirmation, need to feel that. They're being approached with mercy and with justice. I the think. people on the margins, in particular, particularly I Particularly the people, yes. yes. Uh,
0: you sit in a, a very long tradition of Jesuit missionary work. I remember long ago learning about Matteo Ricci, the right. Jesuit who went to China, right. who learnt to adapt things to Chinese ways.
1: What about the Jesuits who went to India and yes. adapted them to Nobili and Besky? Yes, whose statues are in Madras on the on the highway, because they they were so inculturated, who taught Christianity inside the Minakshi temple in Madurai, sat there and had his pupils and that was Dinoboli. Dinoboli. Yeah.
0: this is the tradition you sit in though of yeah. of trying to look at culture, appreciate culture, and if there 's any persuasion or attraction for those people towards Christianity. Your Jesuit predecessors have established a pattern of learn the culture first, have they not?
1: They have indeed, yes. I hope we follow in that same tradition. Final
0: question, Father Phil Crotty. What have you most learned or how have you most changed through your long experience in India,
1: do you think? Um, I guess my understanding of God my understanding of community and just people I mean uh, I guess I see the world and see God as part of the world in a way that it's so freeing to me, freeing. Mm. Uh, I mean God so loved the world and it's so true that he sent his only son David, to the world, and have got a sermon for you.
0: Thank you very much for being part of Sunday nights. Thank you.